Last week, we talked about going to the other side of the lake. And when we get to our reading in just a moment, we're going to start the day with they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And so we can pull up that slide and kind of show where we're going here with that. If we can get that, I think we want to get that. I'll just keep saying. All right, we're going to get that slide going at some point. All right, very good. Um, we're going to make the transition here in a moment. So today is a continuation of this story because what we've learned is that in order to be with Jesus, we need to follow him where he calls us. Christmas is the fulfillment of the great promise that God would be with us. But then when we stepped into the new year, we kind of made that switch to say it's not just even that God wants to be with us, it's that God wants us to be with him. And it sounds subtle, but I think the distinction is important. Yes, God wanted to be with us to come to fulfill the plan of salvation, but I love that story when Jesus called to the disciples. He said, because he wanted them to be with him. Let that sink into your soul over the course of the series. Jesus is calling you to be with him. He wants to be in that kind of a relationship with you. And then Jesus started his ministry in his hometown in the area of Galilee and out of Nazareth. It was familiar territory. It was the territory of the Jewish culture. But the kingdom of God is expanding. We talked about last week. The kingdom of God is moving out. It was always about a bigger call. When that call first came to a man named Abram, he was given the promise, this, you will become a great nation and I will bless you. And you will take that blessing onto all nations. And so already we see in the ministry of Jesus, he's going to take the blessing out to all the nations. So he called his disciples. He said, if you want to be with me, we're going to the other side of the lake. And that is so much the movement of Jesus Christ and growth in him and faithful discipleship. When he calls us to go to the other side, we go to the other side. We go to the others so that the others can become part of the us, the body of Christ. And a couple things happened on that. Let me just do a quick couple second recap. One, whenever we follow Jesus and we kind of head off on that journey, we might think, oh, this is going to be great. And it is going to be great. But it's kind of interesting that that's when the storm hits. The testing already begins. For those of you that feel right now you're in a storm, that you're feeling overwhelmed, that you're feeling like you could go down and you could drown, we need to hear the power and the promise of Jesus. Peace, be still. So for all of us who might be feeling overwhelmed, or for the one maybe here who's thinking, I don't know if I can keep my head above water one more day, peace, be still. I believe when we cry out to Jesus, he will calm the storms of our life so that we will not be overwhelmed. But at the same time, we also hear from Jesus this sort of the, the, this encouragement to go deeper. He says then to the disciples, have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? That is where Jesus is pulling us. That is what he is growing in us. He wants to grow our faith. And the faith of the disciples is about to grow immensely. And I hope, of course, over the course of this series that all of us will have the opportunity for our faith to grow immensely. Because we need to hear that whenever we're feeling challenged or we're feeling pushed, have you still no faith? We have every reason to put our full faith, our full trust, our full weight, our lives on Jesus Christ. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is with us always to the very end of the age. Friends, you can put your faith in him. So let's get 
to the other side without any further ado. Hey, we got it there. Okay, all right. We're all working now. Sweetness. So we are about to get to the other side. We're going to read the Gospel of Mark. We're going to pick up here in chapter 5. We're going to read about 13 verses. It's going to be a big chunk here, friends. And uh, we're going deep today. We're going deep, so I hope you're ready. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. An interesting impression or idea. Don't torture me, Jesus. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and were drowned. Last week, I began to tell you about the Decapolis, this other side of the lake where Jesus was leading his disciples, taking his mission, where he's going to grow the very movement of the kingdom of God that has come so near in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so he calls them to the Decapolis. And we got some background on the Decapolis last week. This was, in a sense, the pet project of really the people who came after Alexander the Great. These are going to be the cities that were sort of networked together that were going to build and promote the Hellenistic worldview, the Greek worldview that was sort of you know consumed by the Roman Empire when it took over everything, because that's what empire does, and it was going to grow and expand this Hellenistic worldview. But the thing about it is it put in direct competition with the worldview of the Jews, with the people of God. And if there's one word to summarize what they, the people of God, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, would have thought about the Decapolis and this Hellenistic worldview, is that it would have been unclean. It would have been unclean. And there's this belief system, of course, in the people that whenever you get near unclean things, you yourself get unclean. But Jesus was already in the process of flipping the script. Whenever sick people reached out and touched Jesus, Jesus doesn't get sick. They get well. Whenever broken people reach out and touch Jesus, Jesus doesn't get broke. They get 
fixed. Whenever unclean people reach out and touch Jesus, Jesus doesn't get unclean. They get clean. They get made right. They get forgiven. They get made whole. Jesus is flipping the script. And so it had been so challenging for them to be moving to this region that was going to be unclean. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom, my Father in heaven, what we are doing has all of the power. You may think it lies in Rome and the empire, but we're going to see that I'm going to flip the script and you're going to see where the true power is. And so Jesus is leading them to this region, but there's another part of the story. Who was that? Uh, 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 who was the guy who always said the rest of the story? Somebody help me out. We were just Paul Harvey. Now you're going to get the rest of the story. You see, there's a history in this place. Just like all places have a history, all people have a history. It was in about the year 65 BC that an uprising of some of the Jewish transplants, some of the Jewish nation that were living in this area, began to fight against the Roman Empire. But see, empire doesn't like uprising. Empire doesn't like to be challenged. The forces that be don't like to give up the power of the forces that be. And so this uprising starts. But of course, they're going to get squashed. Now, don't take my word for all of this. I want to quote from you from a man named Josephus. And he writes in his book called The Jewish Wars, book 4, chapter 9, section 1 to be precise, he writes about what is going to happen whenever this uprising begins. The Roman Empire begins to send in their troops. In fact, the troops were sent in under the leadership of one Lucius Annius, who brought in a legion, actually several legions of troops. And, well, we'll just read it here together. And this is what happens in the region of the Gerasenes. As the troops moved into Gerasa, we discover that it was overrun by the troops of Vespasian under the command of Lucius Annius, who after taking the town, slew of its able-bodied men and took captive their wives and children. Afterwards, the Roman soldiers, with their auxiliaries, proceeded to set fire to their houses and to the houses in the adjoining villages until war had engulfed the entire hill country. You're a people under the heel of the empire. <clears throat> you don't like it. You rally. You rise up. But empire is too powerful and too strong and squashes the uprising. It kills all of the young men that you rally in war against your enemy. The enemy is not content just to kill the troops, but goes into your towns and seizes your women, seizes your children, sets fire to your homes, and then runs rampant over all of the villages of the entire hill country. And when Jesus asked this man, what is the demonic, evil, powerful force that has overrun and taken captive his life, he says, its name, their name, is Legion. My friends, do you think something deeper is going on now? Do you think there's some history 
going on here? Do you think there's some oppression that has been happening here? Do you think there is a deeper spiritual, emotional, psychological, physical, communal pain that is being unveiled here? Do you think there's something deep going on here, friends? This is the Word of God. Our master writer, Mark, here is unfolding something that runs deep. And there is much that we could say about how deep this pain runs, and it is taken captive of this man, but in order that we might get through it in a timely manner and make sense of some of the most important points that God is revealing to us in His Word, let's just take a few moments this morning to talk about this man. Let's talk about the Master Jesus who he encounters, and then the miracle that unfolds. We first meet on the other side of the lake, passing through the storm. The first man that we encounter is possessed by an evil spirit. This man has been cast out by his community, condemned to live out in the wilderness, in fact, out among the tombs. He lashes out and he's causing pain and harm and hurt to anybody who tries to get near him. They try to confine him for their safety, perhaps for his own safety. They chain him up, shackle him hand and feet. He says he breaks the chains and he breaks the shackles that hold him. Day and night he cries out, even harming himself, cutting his own body with stones. Now, friends, it is not popular to speak about possession. I know that it is not enlightened to speak of spiritual forces at work, and that could even possess a person and their body and their soul. So let's remove ourselves perhaps from this word possession right now and say, have we not encountered people perhaps in our lives in our community, maybe in our own families, who seem to have been taken by a power greater than themselves, who seem to lash out and hurt everyone who draws near to them, who seem to have this instinctive sort of gut reaction that when you try to help them, they want to hurt you. Have we not met people, do we not know and love people, that we look at what they're doing to their own body, the choices they're making, the decisions that seem to be consuming and driving their lives, and we see that they are quite literally self-destructing? Do we not know people that if we would take a step back from their lives, we would say, why do they seem to live among the dead? I think we see it, right? I think we see people in this condition. I think we know and love some people in this condition. Call it psychological trauma, call it addiction, call it pain, call it mental illness, call it possession. We see people, we know people, I love people that seem to have been taken captive by something greater than their own self. Have you heard the word scapegoat? You all have heard the word scapegoat, right? The idea of the scapegoat exists really universally across all nations, across all cultures and and religious practices. But the scapegoat is actually talked about in the book of Leviticus. During the celebration of the Passover, the priest would actually take a goat, a young goat, the finest goat that they would find, and he would lay his hands on the goat and he would confess the sins of the people. To borrow perhaps from the words of the prophet Isaiah, oh, we are a people of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. We have broken your law. We have broken our covenant with you. 
We've stolen, we've lied, we've cheated, we've, we've done all of these things that break the heart of God. And they would confess these sins on the scapegoat. And then they wouldn't kill the scapegoat, they would banish the scapegoat to live out the rest of its days out in the wilderness. Is it possible, my friends, is it possible that this man has become quite literally the scapegoat for the collective psyche and sin, the heartache and heartbreak, the deep historical trauma that this region has undergone? Is it possible that he has become the scapegoat embodying all of this and taking it out to live out his days amongst the dead in the tomb, crying out, harming others, harming himself, literally before the show ever gained popularity, becoming as if the walking dead amongst these people? I think there's something deep going on what this man has been possessed by. But this man, under great possession, needs something. He needs somebody to come into his life. This is a child of God, known and loved by our Father in heaven, and for whom Jesus Christ has come, and praise be to God, Jesus, the Master, the Savior, is about to encounter him. Jesus steps out of the boat onto the shore and immediately says this man comes running down to Jesus, says he falls at the feet of Jesus. It's a sign of submission. It's a sign of submission to fall at the feet of somebody. And he cries out, oh Jesus, son of the living God, in the name of God, don't torture me. Isn't it interesting though, just to pause on this long enough, isn't it interesting that this one who would say is truly, quite literally, out of his mind, yet is the first one to recognize truly who Jesus is. Despite his state of being, the powers at work in him immediately recognize who Jesus is, and immediately we recognize the power roles have been reversed. This one who was too powerful for the people of the community to contain, too powerful to be chained, too powerful to be imprisoned, too powerful for anybody to overcome, immediately recognizes the true power lies in this man, Jesus Christ, who now stands before him. And Jesus has one question for him. What is your name? And he says, my name is Legion. And then he says, what is your quest? And he doesn't really say that. I just wanted to see if anybody... Monty Python, the Holy Grail. I mean, don't you wish almost that Jesus like, what is... I would... Man, that would have been awesome. Buddy, no. What is your name? You see, friends, because there's power in naming it. You're going to make me preach for it this morning, aren't you? That's all right. I like preaching for it. <laughs> I like bringing it out of the people of God. There's power in naming the oppressor. There's power in naming the pain. There's power in naming the thing that changes us to the grave. There is power in naming it, and we have to name it sometimes in our lives as the church, as a community, I would say even as a nation, as the collective of humanity. There is power when we name what is possessing us, when we name what is oppressing us, when we name the things that are chaining us down to the grave and holding us from the life that Jesus is calling us to. My friends, there is power in 
naming it. Why do you think every recovery group starts this way? Any recovery group that you go to, that you visit, and I encourage you to get to know people that are openly in recovery, to go with them as a guest to one of their recovery groups, and they will all start this way. Hi, my name is Al, and I'm an alcoholic. You name the thing that has power over you. You name the thing that is possessing you. You name the thing that is chaining you to the grave and draining the life out of you. Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm a drug addict. Hi, my name is Bob, and I'm a porn addict. Hi, my name is Frank, and I'm an overeater. We must name the things that are taking power over our lives. There is power. Amen? Are you starting to get it? There is power in naming the thing. You've experienced this. We've all experienced this in small to profound ways in our lives. We've had something in our lives, something that has caused us pain, maybe something that has caused us guilt or caused us shame, and we've carried it with us, shackled to this thing. Maybe it was a decision uh, that somebody made on our behalf. Something was done to us in our childhood. Maybe it was a decision that we made in our, you know, our wild college years or something. Maybe it was some awful choices that we made in our adulthood. But whatever this thing is, you've carried it around for so long. And then it's like we almost have this breaking point. And you're with a family member. Or you're with a spouse. Or you're, you're with a friend. And, and you think, I'll just dip my toes into the water. And you kind of venture into the territory. Uh, have you ever... And at that moment, you see them nodding their head, and they say, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you've gone through. I know exactly what you've experienced, because you're naming the thing together. And as soon as you name the thing, freedom starts to break in. Liberation starts to break in. We've experienced this. Maybe it was even just in a classroom. Maybe it was in reading a book. The thing gets named, oh, it's called codependency, and I'm a victim of it. Oh, it's called enabling, and I've been doing it for my kids all of these years. You know, oh, it, you know, it, it's called narcissistic behavior disorder, and I'm guilty of it. I mean, you name what it is. It, it gets named. It gets named. And then freedom and liberation start to break in. Friends, we need to start naming the things that are holding us captive and dragging us down into the tomb. What I love about my connection group, what I love about this group that meets together in my home and, and we're trying to expand and grow our connection groups is that, it, 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 and I think that people in the group would attest to this, it's almost as if this happens every week. We get together, we eat a meal, we get comfortable we get intimate, we pray together, we open the Word of God, we start breaking it down, we start pulling it apart, we start digging into the text, and things start getting named. Things in our lives, sins that we've committed, things that we've borne and bared and had to carry with us perhaps for years and years and years, start to get named, and people start to get free. And liberation in Jesus Christ starts to come crashing in. Maybe this is the message for somebody here today, and I bet it is. You don't even need to worry about any of the rest of the things we're going to say, because this is the morning that you need to spend some time with God naming it. 
And if you think this is something new, if you think this is, you know, overlaying some kind of new, you know, you know, you know psychology onto the Word of God, there's a name for it that has been around a long time. And it's a good word. And it's a good thing. It's a healing thing. It's a life-changing thing. It's called repentance. And we've been talking about it in the church for centuries. It's whenever we turn to Jesus Christ and we name it. Jesus Christ, you are Savior. You are Lord. Jesus Christ, I've sinned and I've fallen short. Jesus, I am broken and I need to be made whole. Jesus Christ, I am naming you and I'm naming the hurt, the brokenness, the burden, the addiction, the sin. I'm naming it in my life. Jesus, will you take it? Will you forgive me of it? Will you free me from it? Will you call me your own? And will you give me a new life? He's been doing it for years, friends. He's been doing it for centuries, friends. He has been taking people who name it and name him and surrender their lives and they find that they rise to new life in him. If you need to do that this morning, you go ahead and take the time that you need to name it for Jesus Christ and to receive the forgiveness that can come through him. The man, he's mad. He's a maniac. He meets the master. The master calls him to name this thing. The name is given. The name is legion. And now we are ready for the miracle to happen. Legion begins to beg. Don't send me out of the area. Oh, I could go off on a whole other little mini-sermon on this. Legion doesn't like to leave easily. Just because you name it doesn't mean it's going to leave easily. Just because you name it doesn't mean you don't have to go back week after week after week after week and keep naming it and keep naming it and keep declaring this will not have power over me any longer. Legion doesn't like to leave. And so Legion decides to bargain with Jesus. Legion says, don't make me leave the area. Why don't you send me off into that herd of pigs? So Jesus acquiesces to the request, sends Legion into the herd of pigs. The herd of pigs runs down the hillside, and they drowned in the lake. Can we just admit something? This is weird, right? <laughs> this is a weird story. But when we hit weird stories that are hard for us to understand, it's not time to close the book and write it off. This is the time for us to dig deeper. Principle of first appearance. When do we see things in the Bible going in to the water? We actually see it all the time. We see things going into the water that we need to get rid of. We see things going into the water that need to be changed and transformed. Whenever the world that God had created had fallen into wickedness and sin and evil and people were being just cruel and awful to God and to one another, God brought a cleansing flood in the time of Noah and redeemed a family to start afresh. Whenever the people of God found themselves in Egypt, in their land of captivity, they cried out for a deliverer. They cried out for a savior. And God sent to them Moses. And through a series of acts, through a series of miracles, God brought them to the Red Sea. And they thought, oh no, it's all over. We should just go back. That's when God showed his hand and parted the waters of the Red Sea. And those waters parted led the people of God into the promise, but they also became the waters of judgment over the evil 
that had held them prisoners and captive and slaves for so long, and they were consumed whenever the waters came crashing back over them. Things go into the water whenever God's work is setting people free. Jesus has come and offered himself as the spring of living water, washing us clean and making us white as snow and welling up into us for eternal life in God's family. Jesus is now on the, oh, I could go. I hope you're following me. I hope you're tracking with how deep what is unfolding here in the word of God. Jesus is now the new Moses, leading his people on to the promise of the fulfillment of the plans and the freedom that we have through life in him. And in time, what will we see as Jesus will himself take on the legion of sins of the world and he will willingly go to a cross and be tied to the tomb and to pay the price. But thanks be to God, he rises from the grave, he defeats sin, he conquers death, he comes into his new life, and he offers that new life to us. This is the miracle that is unfolding here and now for this man. He is being set free in the master Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This is a beautiful Weird, beautiful, amazing story of the work of the Master, Jesus Christ. There's a lot more that could be said about it, but I need to drive this one home. I'm going to invite the band come forward as we prepare to drive this. You see, there's an epilogue to this story. There's an epilogue to this miracle. We've met the man and found out his condition. We've met Jesus Christ, the master, the one who holds all of the power. We've experienced this miracle of his deliverance, of his freedom, of the new life that he has given. But there's an epilogue to the story. And I'm going to read it for you now. So we're going to pick up here in chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. I love that. Oh, yeah, there's this man. You know, the guy. Yeah, we know the guy. Yeah, he's free. Oh, and there's this thing about the pigs. <laughs> and the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. We have here in this epilogue the vision of two responses to Jesus. We have on this one side this man who was literally driven mad by the powers that possessed his life, of which we have only scratched the surface, of which we can only imagine how deep his brokenness and pain that he suffered truly was. And yet here is this man who now, because of the Master, Lord Jesus Christ, 
is in his right mind, is clothed for the first time in who knows how long, and sitting at the feet as one of the followers, as one of the disciples. And on the other side, we have the response right now of virtually everyone else. Leave our region. Leave us alone, Jesus Christ. This freedom that we see, this liberation that you offer, we think it costs too much. What a sad, sad response to the disruption that Jesus can bring into the lives of people possessed and oppressed by the evil forces at work in our world. Some people will always choose Jesus. They will choose freedom. They will choose liberation. They will choose life in Him. And there will always be others who will say, the cost is too great. Leave me alone, Jesus. Leave our region, Jesus. We're going to stick with things the old way, even if the old way is broken. Jesus says, fine, I'll leave. <laughs> He's about to get onto the boat. And the man says, Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no. There's an interesting image of Jesus. Jesus, I want to follow you. Nope. <laughs> but it's not just no, right? It's not just no, don't follow me. You see, you see, he gets it. I get it, Jesus. You're the Savior. You're the Lord. You, you, you set me free. Uh, I want to follow you. I see these guys. They go with you. They're learning from you. They're, they're, they're doing the things that you do. I want to be one of these guys. I want to be on this team. I want to be with you, Jesus. And he says, no. Go and tell all that the Lord has done for you and how I've had mercy on you. Jesus has more faith in this man than this man has in himself right now. Jesus has more faith in this man that this man has everything he stands in need of to fulfill the mission that he's calling him to. This man must be thinking at this moment, what can I go and what can I say and what can I do? He has everything he needs because he can now go and he can say, listen, listen, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was driven mad but now I'm in my right state of mind. I once was as good as dead, but now I'm alive because of this guy, Jesus Christ. And you might think it's mad, but I've never been more sane and more sound and more sincere in my telling you, this man, Jesus, had all the power to save this life. And then there's an epilogue to the epilogue. Because when we pick up the story in chapter 7, Jesus decides to swing back around to the Decapolis. And when he does, guess what he finds? He is met by a crowd. The man fulfilled his calling. The man was fulfilling his mission. He simply went and shared what the Lord had done for him, the mercy that he experienced. He was lost, but he was found he was dirty, he was made clean, he was out of his mind, and he was given his sanity and his life back. He was dead, but he was alive again in Jesus Christ. And I want to pray right now for all of us that we would meet the master 
that would receive this life that we are being called to in him and that we would go out and fulfill our mission to declare the good works of our Lord, the mercy is had for all of us. Let me pray for us, friends. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this story. And I confess right now that I feel like I've only just scratched the surface of this miracle and the depth of its meaning for all of us. But this much I know, Lord Jesus, this much I know, whenever we name it, we can be set free from it. Whenever we name it, we can experience liberation. So, Lord, we name the things that are addicting us, that we are addicted to. We name the things that are oppressing us. We name the things that are possessing us. We name these things that are breaking us. We name them. We call them out. And we declare that they will have power no longer over our lives because we are now naming you, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Set us free, wash us clean, let us be found in you, and being found in you, let us fulfill our mission to declare what you have done in our lives. I pray for the man, I pray for the woman, I pray for the child here this morning that is naming you Savior and Lord, that is naming that thing that has oppressed them for too long, that they will be set free and made new and you lord jesus it's in your name that we pray amen friends amen we're going to